Welcome, this is Lisa, where we go inside addiction to raise your level of consciousness. Like, I, I was on it every single day, I'd finished work and get on it. So I'd gone and got it, and obviously before, I, I weren't driving, but on the way back I literally got straight in the car and run back up or whatever. And um, I, yeah, as I said, I got home and I emptied it all out and sort of said it in uh, I ended up doing it and going into my house and I didn't know where my emotions were. Bottled up anger and frustration um, over such a long period. Also, while doing that, suppressing my memories, suppressing my feelings. So when I didn't have any, I sort of burst. Um, and there was multiple occasions where it should have been enough for me to change what was going on. I've become someone that I always promised myself I wouldn't be. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't really take your life away from you. It takes your life away if, if you know what I'm trying to say. So like, I always thought I could do it by myself. You know, I was like, oh, if I ever wanted to quit, then I could just do it. But I couldn't. I, I really struggled for a long time with that. I find a very, very important thing about finding who you are is loving and bettering yourself. Before we get into the show. I just wanted to let you know I'm here to help you on your journey to getting your drink and drug use under control. So you can book an assessment that will allow you to have the space to assess your current situation with a trained professional and create a plan to get your life back on track. You can have a look and we can discuss our 12 week program that creates lasting change and allows you to create a life of more fulfillment and happiness. Or you can discover the empowering benefits of counselling. Just go to insideaddiction.co.uk forward slash grow. Now, back to the show. Well, hey Sam, welcome to the Lisa Inside Addiction podcast, where we go inside addiction to raise your level of consciousness. It's nice to have you on the podcast today. Um, if you don't mind just telling us a bit about, yeah, who you are and a bit about your journey. Um, well, thank you for having me, Luke. Um, well... My journey with addiction has been a bit, as, as most people's addictions, you know, it's, it's, it's a very up and down um, sort of life to live. Um, I found my, my addiction started way before I come into contact with any sort of substance. Um, very compulsive behaviours in general. It was normally finding something, um, as, as most addicts as well, to sort of take your mind away from reality. Um, and I do, I do, I'd watch films compulsively, like the same film, five times in a row, um, and, and, and stuff like that as I was um, growing up. And then um, I reached the age of about 13, um, funny enough, first thing most people was a cigarette, smoked a cigarette and then ended up smoking weed not long after that. And um, from the moment I had that first joint, I knew that I was going to be an addict. Yeah. Um, you know, it was the the sensation of not being in your own your own brain, um, and it it went from there. It progressed. It progressed. I spent a lot of my time finding the substance of choice. Yeah. And I mean, you, you can be addicted to anything, um, but everyone has that one thing specifically that they're addicted to. I spent a long time trying to find that, so I experimented for. A while, yeah. um, and, and once I've been, yeah, no, yeah, just in terms, like you said, before you kind of 
discovered certain kind of drugs or had your first cigarette or joined you kind of um, yeah knew you were an addict before that when you were growing up what was life like growing up and how did you kind of come to that realisation um, I can't ever say I had a bad childhood not I couldn't could say that at all I mean um, in regards to school was a bit different um, I mean home life should have been great it, it should have been great. I have loving parents that did did absolutely everything for me. And then there was one thing that I didn't like was how often they were out at work because they would work very, very long hours. Um, and eventually we got like a, an au pair, a nanny. Um, but um, so home life was actually, it should have been really good. But due to my self-destruction at such a young age, it wasn't so great. Um, uh, school life was a bit, a bit rough. Never knew where I fitted in, ever. I couldn't find it. Went through numerous friendship groups, um, just trying to be someone that that mattered to someone else. And I, I figured this out later on in life. I was like, I spent all of that time trying to find someone to love me. They was at home and that was the place I was being the most self-destructive because I was going out looking for it and then coming home and taking my anger out at home but the love was always at home you know and that that hit me a, a lot later in life but I mean in school I got bullied you know there's, there's a I think a lot of addicts generally did you know um it's quite bold saying like you, you know what I'm trying to say there's there's a lot of a pressure or something something that happens over a period of time that can happen to an addict. I mean, you can have a, a, a great life and still become an addict. That's, but um, I think, yeah, I, um, I struggled quite a lot in school. I didn't get the help from teachers that I wanted or needed. Um, I found out around the age of seven or eight that I had Asperger's. Um, and due to me wanting to fit in somewhere so much, that hit me hard. Um, denial, um, being lost, not knowing how to control my emotions, that all just sort of piled up on top of me. Um, and I turned into a bit of a... Just, I, did, I didn't know where I was. I didn't know where I was. I was very... Um, I don't know if scatty is the right word, but I was here, there and everywhere. I was literally bouncing off the walls, but... Um, it, it could have either been in like a really, really good way or a really, really bad way. Um, but my compulsive behaviours started happening from quite young during that time as well. So there was things that I was doing loads of. So whether it comes to gaming, I gamed for a while when I would sit on my computer or my Xbox for hours and hours and hours. And, you know, you'd catch me falling asleep on my desk or like anything. I mean... Uh, uh, I, I sort of now I've taken my addiction to like music and, and skateboarding and I'll be on my skateboard for hours and hours so um, generally I have a very addictive personality but due to what sort of happened with me growing up I wasn't happy um, and that led me on to becoming an, an addict yeah but like you say, your parents, kind of, the love was at home, but you searched for it outside the home. 
but there was a sense of your parents weren't home that much and then you had the au pair and then later on you had you know your mental health diagnosis of Asperger's and that made school hard because you got bullied and you wanted to fit in and it was just generally hard and that was kind of you know just growing up yeah 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 that was that was a big part of growing up I mean I also did did this thing where like I sort of dropped from girlfriend's girlfriend as I said I was trying to find someone to love me um so yeah I, I dotted around from girlfriend's girlfriend friendship groups I was never really in one place especially mentally I mean I mean physically with with friendship groups and stuff I was never in one place but mentally I was never in one place I mean I could go through as I said being really really angry and I, as a child I was a very angry person and that was due to me being so sort of lost and confused I didn't know where my emotions were at any point my, my parents will even say like they didn't know where my emotions were at any point because I was very as, as I said I was I was all over the place um and that's why when I came into addiction with, with substance abuse, it took that all away. So my my preference tended to be downers. Um, so like weed or my, my, the one that I eventually found was ketamine. And um, that they are very, they mellow you out, you know. And because of my, um, my, my constant um, change in mood, it sort of just leveled it out which I didn't realise in the long run, if I didn't have any, the day after or the time after, you know, everything that I was holding in and suppressing um, with that addiction just came flying out. And that made me a very, um, not, not a very nice person to be around. I just want to take a quick break to let you know I'm here to help you on your journey through recovery. So if you need any extra help or support, you can just go to insideaddiction.co.uk forward slash grow and get in touch and book your free assessment where we can talk and discuss how we can move your life forward and take things to the next level. I hope to hear from you soon and I wish you well on your journey through recovery. Now, back to the show. Yeah, like you say, it didn't make you a nice person to be around because everything was just kind of coming out and you didn't really make that connection between drugs and your emotions and what was going on. No, no, not at all. I mean, especially with how much I struggled with my emotions anyway, the drugs just made it a lot worse. A lot worse. Um, yeah, I mean, I, as well, I, I was experimenting with them. So I went from weed and I moved on to other hard drugs and I went from, like, you know, the uppers like Cocomandy to, to whatever, really. And um, that, where I spent so long being in that suppressed state, you know, I never really knew who I was still. Uh, there was a part of that time where I was working on the person I wanted to be, even though I was still um, taking uh, substances. But um, that sort of, that gave me a bigger reason to stop. Um, over the years, I looked back at who I, <coughs> excuse me, who I was starting to become at that point. Um, and... That made me realise that I'd completely turned into somebody else. And I, I didn't recognise him. Family didn't recognise him. But to the point my friends were starting to not want him to be around me. And it is that sort of thing makes you sort of see it, you know, um, see the bigger picture of it. 
Um, I didn't even want to be around myself, so obviously no one else was going to want to be around me. Um, and that, that called for change. Yeah, and like you say, you kind of, you started off smoking a fag and a joint, and then it kind of escalated to doing more, like you say, your drugs are choice for more, down the drugs. Um, but you got to that point where your friends didn't want to be around you, your family didn't want to be around you, and you sort of recognised yourself sort of slipping away. What, what what kind of led up to that experience? Uh, so, um, I uh, so when I found my drug of preference, I mean, weed was my drug of preference. When I found ketamine, which was definitely my drug of preference. Um, when I found that, I was um, partying a lot. Um, I was working five, six days a week, sometimes with them, very rarely. But um, And I had a girlfriend, and I was obviously earning enough money to support that, that habit. Um, and my relationship wasn't going very well. And the... The sort of the mix of you know you like you like going to work, coming home to a bad relationship, um, and then me also seeing my previous self um, when I was starting to become a good person um, or the person that I wanted to be, um, that all kind of hit me at once. But there was there was multiple things that happened during um, the time of me being with my ex girlfriend when we were quite toxic for each other and. Being like I, I was on it every single day. I'd finish work and get on it, and, uh, and that's how it went. And I started to become a person I didn't want to be. There was there was multiple occasions where I I become someone that I always promised myself I wouldn't be. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. As I said, when I was younger, I was a bit of a problem child. That was more due to me being lost. But this was bottled up anger and frustration. Um, over such a long period also while doing that suppressing my memories suppressing my feelings so when I didn't have any I sort of burst um, and there was multiple occasions where it should have been enough for me to change what was going on um, and that uh, it still didn't it still didn't hit me um, and one day one day I sort of, I'd, I'd picked up and uh, I'd come home and I'd just sort of emptied it all out and I, was, I wasn't doing small amounts of it as, as most addicts don't. Um, and I sort of emptied it all out and I just I, I just looked there for about half an hour and I thought, you know, what am I actually doing? You know, it takes all your money. It, take, it takes the life away from you, you know? And yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't take your life away from you. It takes your life away, if, if you know what I'm trying to say. So like, it's slowly killing you, but it's also removing your life from around you. And um, I, I saw it happen. I mean, I, I, at that point, I'd lost my job. I'd broken up with my ex. Um, and, I, you know, I didn't have the money to fund it anymore, so I had to have the sober days. And I was in my own head again. And at first, it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. But... The more sober days I had, the more I realised I didn't do it anymore. Yeah, yeah, like you say, the more sober days you had, the more you realised you didn't want to do it. Mm, no, definitely. I mean, 
as I said, it is, it is horrible being in your own head sometimes, but when you're in your own mind and you, you start to see that sort of hope, you know. So in them sober days, as I said, I was seeing the previous self that was starting to build something for himself. And I was looking back at that sort of thing. And I was looking in the mirror and I was like, all the health problems that had come along with it, that's mentally and physically. And it, you know, I'd watch myself turn into someone that I never wanted to be. And I thought at the time, while it, it was all going on, I was perfectly fine and living a normal life, you know, and it, it was the furthest thing from me. Yeah. And like you said, just to rewind a bit, you, you, there should have been times when you should have stopped way before you did. What do you feel like it was that just kept making you just bang your head against the wall and just keep going round and round? Okay, so there was one situation. I mean, I couldn't briefly go into it. There's obviously details of it. I won't, but um, it wasn't even my drug of choice this time. Either. I'd taken a psychedelic and a, um, a pharmaceutical together and um, I'd taken it. I'd taken the, pharm uh, the psychedelic and nothing happened to me. So I thought, okay, like, the pharmaceutical was all I had after that. So I thought, okay, I'll take it. And I took it. And wherever I took it, I woke up in the same spot that I'd taken it, thinking that I'd just gone to sleep. Um, no. I'd woken up and, you know, police were outside my house. My, my room was smashed up. My girlfriend was crying. My mum and dad were very angry. Um, my car wasn't where it was parked before, and I was thinking, okay, so what have I done? And I didn't have a single clue. And to this day, I only know what I've been told has happened. I can't remember any of it. Um, and my whole life come crashing down on top of me. Um, and due to something that extreme sort of happening to me, I wanted to suppress that even more, even though I couldn't remember what happened. I can remember what happened afterwards. And seeing the aftermath of it was horrible enough. So I thought, you know, I'm going to carry on suppressing this and I don't want to have this feeling inside. Um, and eventually, you know, you learn that it's okay to not be okay. It's about what you do after having that feeling. You know, I started um, sort of trying to transform those feelings into a positive energy doing something productive um so you know you can have so much anger or guilt or rage inside you but you can actually transform that energy you know because normally that is something that you're very passionate about you know um on the on the good side or the bad side of the scale when when you feel an emotion it's normally due to a lot of passion um and you know, I started changing that. And I realised that these bad feelings can actually be turned into good uh, rather than suppressing them. And I, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so rather than suppressing them, they can sort of turn into good. Um, and I'm just wondering how your kind of mental health and addiction sort of intersected and, and how they were sort of related in your life. Um... So when it when it comes to mental health, um, I've never been diagnosed with something for mental health. I have a disability. I've never gone to the doctors about like any depression or anxiety or anything, um, which I, don't, I generally don't think I've had. But I've always sort of 
as I said, my head always sort of hasn't been right. There's always been something wrong. You know, I don't think I've ever been like majorly depressed, but there's been times that I've been extremely, extremely sad and in a very dark hole. Um, and well, the, with with my addiction coming into that, I mean, ketamine can be a very dark and lonely drug, and I found comfort in it. And that's sort of where it interlinked, as in, if I was in a dark place, I could stay in a dark place and enjoy it. Um, and that, that became very, very unhealthy and toxic, like extremely. Because, um, you know, it got to the point I was just doing it in bed and, you know, fall into a hole and I'd absolutely love it. But I didn't want to be in my own head. That's why I was doing it. Um, and, yeah, man, the, the mental health side of things is just, um, as I said, I'm a very, very upbeat sort of person. Um, my head moves at a thousand miles an hour, um, whether that be bad or good as well. Um, but yeah, we always wanted something to slow that down. Always wanted something to slow that down. I soon realised after becoming sober that because of my head moving a thousand miles an hour, I can achieve a lot of great things with that. I just have to learn how to control it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, like you were saying, when you were at that kind of point where you lost uh, your job and your relationship and things were really hard, um, how did you get from there to kind of the point when you were sitting there, like you say, you put all the drugs out on, the, I'm assuming there's a table, on the table and just looked at them for hours, what was that gap there like? Um, that was... So this was sort of the point where I'd already, like, obviously lost my job, lost my girlfriend. And this was a, a bit of time on from that. So I'd had all my sort of sober days and found a way to get it and then had my sober days and whatever. And um, there, was, there was things I was doing that they weren't, like, like unloyal or just, just nasty or whatever. It wasn't like that. But there was things that I was doing that was just not... Not my normal self, you know. Um, so because I could barely get it, when I could get it, I'd be on the case, you know. If, if I had to travel, whatever. Um, there was one day, and I think I think it was actually that day, where um, one of my friends works a lot, and um, I very rarely get to see him. He's a, a brother to me, and. Um, but I hadn't seen him for very long that day, and I hadn't seen him in a while, and um, I found out I could get some, and he didn't want to be around it, so out of the blue, I was just like, right, I'm going to go get some, and just left it, sort of thing, and I was thinking, you know, I'd never do that normally, I'd want to spend as much time with this person, because, you know, all the things he's done for me, not only that, he's like a brother to me, and the fact that I've just gone and left, to go get some drugs, it's, I was like, that's, that's not the person that I ever wanted to be, even though it's such a sort of small thing, and I don't think he thought a lot of it really, but it made me think a lot, um, so I'd gone and got it, and obviously I, I went driving, but on the way back I literally got straight in the car and run backed up or whatever, and um, I, yeah, as I said, I got home, and I emptied it all out, and sort of said it in the... Uh, I ended up doing it and going into my house and um, obviously my parents could tell. And uh, yeah, sort of just asked for help. 
because at, at the end of the day, you know, no matter who you are, if you're in addiction, you, you need someone else's help. You know, and no, no matter how strong you think you are, you need someone else's help. I always thought I could do it by myself, you know, and I was like, oh, if I ever wanted to quit, then I could just do it, but I couldn't. I, I really struggled for a long time with that. Um, but I was, I was sort of lucky in the sense that I already had the mindset of wanting to stop. I mean, I mean, every addict wants to stop most of the time, but um, you know, it's a very contradictive situation. It's very, very contradictive because one minute you want to, and the next minute you don't, and you want to be happy in that moment, and then the next minute you want to stop again. Um, but I'd already been thinking constantly that I wanted to stop and it was at a point where if I was going to get it, I'd go get it and then it was like I almost didn't remember going to get it it was like my subconscious sort of did it um, and that's something I learned, you have to be very aware of what you're doing at all times Yeah, yeah. like you say, it's almost that contradiction, I don't want to use drugs and I don't want to do drugs I know there's a better future but I'm still using drugs and it's almost like becomes that unconscious pattern of, you know, I've gone to get drugs and, you know, sniffing the coke or done the care or whatever it may be, smoke the joint. Um, before I even knew it, it's almost like it's so automatic and ingrained um, and so hard to break that pattern. Oh, yeah, it's a subconscious routine. It's something you do about even realising most of the time. Um, even if you don't want to do it, even if you're telling yourself you don't want to do it, um, it, it it generally does tend to just happen, um, and that that's why you know sort of making yourself another routine is very I find it very key for me anyway, um, because as I said, drugs become a routine. So if you can turn that routine around, even to the smallest things, you know, give yourself a, a, a waking up time, a food time like for your breakfast etc throughout the day have a workout time and then you know go for a walk this time if you write it all down that's another thing writing stuff down it, it becomes so much easier because then your mind is always active on something else other than drugs yeah yeah and how did you kind of yeah get from like you that point when you were looking at the drugs and you realized you don't want to go on like this um to sort of being in recovery um, as I said, I asked my um, my mum for help. Um, I went to rehab. I was in there for two weeks, um, and that gave me time to relearn who I am. I find a very very important thing about finding who you are is loving and bettering yourself. So knowing knowing the person that you want to be, and learning to love yourself. You know, look in the mirror and actually feel the love for yourself. As, as sort of stupid as that may sound, um, that helped me a lot because, you know, it doesn't matter what, what you look like, where you're from, no matter what, if you love yourself and you can bear yourself, that, I found that, that that pushed me. So that's one thing that I made sure I did in, in rehab um, at the start of my recovery, is I made sure that I knew who I wanted to be and I knew that I could love myself. Um, and... That, that happened, that happened, and, and that made the rest of sort of the, the uh, process a lot easier for me. And I don't know how hard it can be to, you know, like love yourself, but once you start to better yourself, that becomes easier as well. Um, 
but through through my recovery, I mean, it was more, as I said, finding myself and stuff, but um, also learning what my warning signs and stuff were. So when I become um, in a way that, you, you know, they say you relapse before you relapse. So if I was to relapse, then there would be the warning signs of say I'd become very lazy. Um, even sometimes I'd be very, very over, over hyper, but I wouldn't show any emotion. Um, and that and, and that sort of thing, and, and learning what the solution to that would be. So there, there was other stuff as well, like because of the lifestyle that I lived, it's going to be very hard to get away from drugs in general. Um, and alcohol, I never really drunk that much, but it's always going to be around me, you know. And um, I had to write myself uh, solutions to problems before they've happened and sort of drill that into my mind, you know. Um, and that, that helped me quite a lot as well. Yeah. Um, also things like writing gratitude lists. The way that I do mine is I write one thing every night and just keep on adding to the list. Um, before you know it, you have a, about a list this big of things you're grateful for, and that, that really lifts your spirit up, actually, and that 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 is also a part of bettering yourself. Um, and, yeah, like like um, writing down your routines for the day, you can actually see, even on the wall, I think that bit of paper there, that's, that's me telling me what to do today. Um, and there's also stuff like... Um, even choosing your outfit the night before. So before you go to bed, choose the outfit for the next day. You know? it, the small things like that, it, it fills in the gaps of time that you have of being in your own mind. And that's the one thing that I think we all struggle with. Yeah, yeah, being in our own mind. Yeah. And like you say, so you have loads of things in place um, and you went to rehab. What was it like, that kind of first day or the first sort of moment when you walked into rehab, what was going through your mind? So, going into rehab, I was prepared mentally. Um, I didn't exactly know what I was walking into. You know, people have these like, thoughts of what rehab's going to be. Um, but I was, I was prepared for it because I knew that if I wanted to achieve what I wanted to achieve, I had to follow these sort of steps. Um, so I walked in there ready and it was different to what I expected as probably most people would say but it was the best thing that I ever did um, definite, the first few days weren't so hard actually, it was nice to meet everyone that was in there etc um, sort of settling I think it was about the fourth or fifth day I missed home, I missed my friends I'm so used to being around my friends like Friends to me are family at the end of the day. Like, you know, you have your blood and then you choose your own family. They're some of the most important people to me who I spend most of my time with. Um, and that that hit me more than anything. And that, that made that day a big struggle. I mean, the having, having... I wasn't really thinking about taking drugs at any point. I mean, it obviously slips into my mind here and there, especially in rehab, it slipped in there more. But having a day like that, it was good because it then showed me that I can deal with my own 
bad thoughts and emotions. Um, and and yeah, I mean, you've got to have that balance. So I mean, to to know that you can go through a bad situation, you have to go through something bad and know that you can deal with it sober. Because obviously, all the bad situations I've been through before, I weren't sober. I didn't actually deal with them. I just suppressed them. Um, so be, being able to know that even though it wasn't a big situation, to know that I was going through something bad and that I could deal with my own emotions, that that was a big step for me because, as I said, being, being a child through teenager, especially like young teens, I really, really struggled to control any sort of emotion. And for the first time in pretty much my whole life, I was able to deal with my own emotions. Now that was a very big step. Um, and that, that sort of showed me that I can do this. Yeah, and like you say, that ability to be able to sit in the discomfort. Um, and I know for me, I always thought, oh, when I feel emotions or if I let, let my emotions exist, then I'm going to die. I just thought it was like worst case scenario to feel my emotions. But like you're saying, to kind of have that ability in rehab to be in that environment and to be able to feel your emotions, have a bad day, not use drugs and like, wait, I made it, I can feel emotions, I can continue on, you know, I'm still here and things are still going okay. Yeah, um, but there was, a, there was a quote, it's like, this shall pass. And it's such a simple quote, but, you know, you, you, you sort of forget that time does continue moving on. And, um, it, yeah, it was very, very nice to know that I could control my emotions. Um, after that, uh, things carried on being uh, really, really well, actually. I sort of put everything I could into learning about myself. Um, there was one thing, actually, that really, really helped me while I was in there. So um, where everything was so jumbled up through my life, um, I never really was able to put a timeline of what had happened in my life. I knew of the significant events that happened. I'm sorry, I knew how I'd felt throughout the years. And, um, but I was never able to be like, okay, so this happened like this year and this happened when I was this age. And like, I was never ever able to piece it together because so much was happening all the time. So as I said, like when I was younger in school, um, school was a mess. Um, my home life was very self-destructive and it affected my parents a lot. But with all that happening at the same time, and you know, um, even outside of school, there was a lot going on. Um, and then growing up, the madness continued. There was there was problems with people that stayed for a long time, and I didn't realise how much that sort of thing affected me. Um, and where everything was going on. I was never able to quite grasp what had happened um, and I, I managed to figure it out but look, I, was, I wasn't able to write it down at all. I, I managed to write down a few bullet points um, and then when I actually started speaking about it, um, I soon realised where things were being placed, you know, so I, I'm not going to go into it but the, the, the way that it was placed. Um, actually helped me so much because then I was able to realise like when I started feeling this way, why I started behaving like that, like the, the small subconscious things that trigger you that you don't quite realise, and that made me realise why I'd become the person that I had become, um, and that that was like emptying of 
backpack full of rocks off my back. Um, that was a big weight lifted. Um, it also made me realise like some of the, the things that were still currently going on in my life that sort of come throughout the years of, of my life um, didn't need to continue the way that they were. Um, not not just the substances, but definitely the substances. So that that was a, a massive weight off my shoulders. Yeah, and like you say, being able to do that kind of life story and put things chronologically in order, what happened, and having that kind of bird's eye view of your life, which we very rarely ever sort of take stock and do and think about, this is what's happened, this is how our life kind of panned out, allowed you to spot some of those blind spots and work out where some things started happening and where things kind of went wrong and how to change your perspective on those things. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I learned a lot from that. And as I said, as I was trying to learn about myself anyway, that that took it to another level. That, that made me realise a lot of the, the deeper things within me that I never knew. Um, so that, that was a big push in the right direction. Um, and then... After that, it was just really working on what I was going to do once I got out of rehab. Um, as, as I said before, because of my very um, sort of energetic behaviour, I found it very hard to stay in one place uh, uh, for so long. So um, being in rehab in that sense was quite hard because you're in one building, etc. Um, so... With all of the knowledge that I'd already got, I decided to leave earlier than I was meant to be staying there. Um, but I had set myself out a plan But after I came out. And the plan went very, very well. Very lucky for it to go so well. Um, and I sort of transformed my addictive behaviour into other areas, such as music and skateboarding, um, and become my main focus. What I've also realised is addiction, as I said, you can be addicted to anything, not just drugs, but you forget that you can be addicted to the smallest things from your phone to anything. And I realised that I had taken my addictive behaviour out of rehab into the music and skateboarding. And it, at one point, it started to become unhealthy. I wasn't taking breaks, you know, I wasn't sleeping because I'm too busy working on it. And... I'd sort of transferred it from one to the other. And I realised that wasn't good for me either. So now I've got to sort of slow that down and obviously keep keep that good energy within it, but just not do it so much because you do anything too much, it can affect you. You can become addicted to it. It affects your health both physically and mentally. And it was happening to me again, but just not with a substance. Um... And don't get me wrong, what, what I'm doing, I love it. Yeah, and it's, it's not harmful to me until I start doing it that much that it does affect my, my health. Um, so that's that's also something I'm still learning. You know, and there's always going to be new stuff to learn. So I've just got to make sure that I'm aware of what I'm doing. Yeah, and I think, like I said, there's always going to be stuff to learn. And what you said there is the key, the awareness, you know, and thinking about you know, your addict mind and if it's saying, you know, you should, it's, it's 11 o'clock, should I go to bed or should I stay up? And your addict mind's like, stay up, stay up, stay up, more, 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 more. Then you're like, wait a minute, you know, honestly, this isn't the right decision. I should probably go to bed, I should get rest. 
and like you were saying about discovering yourself and loving yourself you know what's the best version of yourself what's that option is to love yourself and go to bed and like you say just let that kind of addict mind go um, and focus on that balance and sort of bring it back into perspective a hundred percent a hundred percent i mean at the same time i definitely need to be doing that but there's, there's times within it where i can use it to my advantage i mean that not 99.9 percent .9 of addiction is bad you, you you can't deny that but it, as i said if you can transfer that addictive behavior into something else which you can control you know so when you do something you do it a lot right but as long as you can in that time do it a lot but know when to take the breaks it's at your advantage and that's that's what i'm sort of learning right now i mean it won't be the same for everyone obviously um as i said i have a very addictive uh, behavior patterns anyway um so that that's sort of in my nature before i was an addict but it's something that i'm i'm having to learn right now yeah and what um, advice would you give to someone out there who's kind of in a similar situation to where you were, they know their kind of life's not working, they keep running around on the merry-go-round of addiction and they're thinking about going to rehab but they've got doubts, what kind of advice would you give them? You won't regret it, walk through that door, but 100%, I mean, I know what that dark place is like, you know, I think every addict does. And I think the first step of coming off of anything that you're addicted to is always the hardest. You know, the, you, you sometimes get mental or physical withdrawal, sometimes both. And it is extremely hard to get through that. But once you take that first step, the rest of the steps are so much easier. I mean, there, there's obviously, you, you're never going to have to, you're never going to be able to stop taking steps because your recovery is always going to be there. Um, and that's another hard part, you know, becoming accepting with the fact that you can't do it anymore. But once you take that first step, the light shines so bright, it's unbelievable. And that, that, that was for me anyway. I know it can be different for other people, but once I took that first step, you know, I... I was being more aware of my subconscious and being more aware of my surroundings and knowing that I can do it and whether that be stopping stopping drugs or achieving my dream, you know, that I can do it. I now have that self-belief because I'm not taking drugs anymore. So my advice to anyone who is in my position or was in my position, should I say, is just take that first step and put your all into it. Just put everything you have into it. And then from then on, just focus on your recovery. Do things that help you, you know, make you healthy. Do things that you enjoy because the little things in life matter the most. Yeah. And like you say, just focus on that first step. And then when you build that bit of self-love, that bit of kind of care for yourself, you can keep building on that and building on that foundation. And then you may have a really shit day and you can get through that shit day without drugs. And that builds more and more and more onto that in that foundation. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Um, as long as you keep building, as long as you keep building, what's to stop you? I just want to take a quick break just to let you know I'm here to help you on your journey to getting your drink and drug use under control. 
so you can book a free assessment at insideaddiction.co.uk forward slash grow. Now, back to the show. You know, I mean, you're going to have bad days. You're going to have things come across. I mean, I've had this problem that I, I've had through my life that I've always felt I've had barriers being put in front of, put in front of me, right? And they're always there. It can be the smallest thing, you know. I think it's the same with a lot of people, you know. There's always some sort of barrier. But me being me, I was like, you know, is it, is God's picking on you. I don't believe in God, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah. someone's picking on you, like, put that barrier down there. He ain't getting through it. And um, obviously, the bad days come with that. I had a bad day the other day where I feel like everything was going wrong. I've got a bad back, so I can't skate at the moment. And, like, I think I ordered the wrong thing. And, like... My laptop had viruses on it and all of this, and I was just thinking, it's all hit me at once, and I'm just like, you know, this is another barrier that I have to overcome. And it wasn't like, okay, now I'm going to go take drugs because I've had these barriers. It was more like, I'm going to get through these barriers and achieve what I want to achieve. And then I think as long as you have that belief and the action towards your beliefs, you will achieve anything that you want. Yeah, yeah, awesome. And has there any been ever been any kind of books you've ever read throughout your life or when you're in recovery or when you're in rehab that have ever kind of had an impact on you or anything you've sort of seen or watched at all? Um, when I say any books, there's there's two films. Uh, one's a documentary that I watched in rehab. The other one I watched before. Now, I saw a lot of similarities between the two of them. One is The Secret. It's about the law of attraction, and the other one is called Heal. And they're both on Netflix. Um, and Heal, Heal is about um, basically the power of your mind in healing your physical. Um, and the law of attraction is obviously about, you know, if if you believe something enough and you think about something enough, it will come to you. That's sort of the basis of it. Um, but they both interlink. If you watch it, you'll understand. Um, they help me a lot in realizing, you know. As long as you have that belief and you put the action towards it, it will happen. Um, and being positive, I mean, and sort of, I think what another important thing that I sort of realised with Hill as well, there was, there was a part of it about a lady who, um, I, I think she had like loads of tumours or something and she died and she, uh, she'd had a lot of problems with her dad growing up. Uh, she thought her dad didn't love her. Um, and when she died, she saw her dad and felt nothing but pure bliss. And she'd come back to her body and the tumours removed faster than a lot of doctors had seen ever before or something like that. And I sort of took a context of that and I thought, you know, if I dig out everything that I can from my past, no matter how much it's going to hurt, I can then sort of bury it and be at peace with it. Then I don't have any sort of underlying issues um, within my brain that are going to sort of drag me down without me knowing. I mean, there's obviously going to still be stuff that I'm going to be digging out throughout my life. But that was one thing that I realised, because you can you can destroy yourself mentally and it can affect you physically without you even knowing. Um, so they, they were two good, um, two good films or documentaries that I watched. And the other thing that I found extremely helpful is music. Yeah. The music... Whatever kind of music people listen to, you know, if you're having a stressful time, just stick some music in. 
a lot of people meditate. That's not my preference. My preference is music. I'll just sit and put some music on and just sort of relax to it. And that's my meditation because I can't. I can sit in my own brain and, and be comfortable with it. That's my preference to so just have music on with it. Um, and that, that helps more than anything, the sort of meditation side of listening to music. Um, as I said, I'm very energetic, so that calms me down. Yeah, yeah, and, and I've watched those, both those documentaries, I think they're awesome. Um, and yeah, the film The Secret, or the documentary The Secret, is based on um, yeah the book and another good author that's in the um, hill is called Dr. Joe Dispenza and both of them, like I say, they're similar and they talk about um, similar things to what you've talked about which is like the, f- the potential and the possibility of the future. I know that how I am today isn't how I need to be and there's a future version of myself that's better than I am, you know, and how am I going to show up and thinking about your thoughts and your behaviour and how you kind of get there. Um, and also with yeah. music, like you say, about calming yourself in the here and now calming what's going on for you and using it to manage your state. I mean we've all probably got, you know, songs on our Spotify that'll make us cry and song songs on our Spotify that'll make us smile because they are those emotional anchors for us. Um and it can be very, very powerful and good to listen to different music. No, definitely, definitely. With um with the secret as well, um oh as if I've forgotten say the way. Oh no. Go to the music quickly. Um yeah music is Music is incredible in so many ways, and people don't really realise that. I think a lot of people, I know it's hard to sort of take music for granted, but I think people really do, and they they don't appreciate it that much anymore, because just from sound, just from a vibration, you know, um, it can make you feel a certain way. Um, And even, even if you put on a song that makes you cry, like, it's good to get that emotion out. If you're having a bad day, and all you want to do is cry, Stick on a song that makes you cry because when you suppress feelings, it bottles it up and it gets like a you know like a Mentos in a, a Coca Cola bottle and you take it up and you go. That's what happens when you suppress emotions and that's why I found that um, also doing meetings every night. Um, I do a meeting every night and it, it helps so much just to be able to vent if I'm having a bad day or just tell everyone I'm doing well. Not even speaking, I don't want to, but most of the time I like to let that stuff out. It's good to speak to someone. I mean, even if you're not doing meetings, have people around you that you can talk to because it is so good to be able to let any of that out. Um, and I've remembered about the, the secret. Um, when you when you release a, a sort of energy, um, whether it's good or bad, that same sort of energy comes back to you. I've always found a good example of this is say, um, well, not, not exactly of that, but you know, like when you walk into a room and there's someone in there that's in a bad mood, and you walk in and you haven't even seen what's happened yet, and you can already feel that energy. There's something bad that's going on in that room, or something like that. You know, you like energy is is so real, like you feel it of someone else. You know, and um, so if you're constantly giving out that good energy positive people are going to want to be around you. I mean, uh, positive people bring each other up, you know, and I find that that's what I've sort of had to do as well. Make sure I'm around positive people. People are going to bring me up because you feed off each other's energy. Um, as I said, it, you, you let it out, it comes back to you. Um, and yeah, like being, being around people that are so sort of like-minded of being positive and wanting to be bringing themselves up 
helps so much. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And like you said about, you know, your emotions and they're like, you know, the mentos in the coke can and they just sort of explode and they use um, like music to help you um, and meetings. Just for those who don't know what meetings are or understand the value of what happens at a meeting, what's a meeting, um, yeah, for the audience? Okay, so the sort of meeting I do tends to be a little bit different. But um, Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous both run uh, meetings where um, I'm pretty sure there's more than just them two as well, but um, it depends what the problem is. But um, I know they do meetings where you can uh, share how you're feeling. Or like sometimes there'll be like a main sharer and they will share their story with the people that are in the meeting. And then after he's him or her done their share, people can share back and relate to what they've said. Um, but the sort of meeting I do every night is a group of people in a very similar situation who like to share with each other. And it's, it's sort of like a, a dialogue, really, of like how people are doing each day. It's normally the same people every day. And we all just do our share. And we've, we've started putting a bit of like uh, reading a quote from um, one of the NA or NA books or like choosing a subject or something to talk about, something you just choose a word and everyone will have a share to do with what that word means um, and how they can relate to that word. Um, they are very, very helpful. Very, very helpful, no matter which one you choose. Yeah, and like you say, the one where you have your kind of core peer group around you, where you all do things together, you're all in a similar boat, you all talk about what's going on, but having that positive peer group is really, really good. Oh, 100%, 100%. I mean, as I said, because of my lifestyle, um, a lot of people around me who take drugs and stuff, um, and it's important for me to have the sobriety around me. Very, very important, because if I was to sort of let go of sobriety, or the people around me that are in it, I'm just going to fall off, and I'm going to go back to what I was. I have to keep that's um, spray around me, otherwise, as I said, I will feel, and that's, that's the last thing I will. So it, it's very important that no matter what lifestyle you live, to make sure that you stay around people that are sober. Yeah, yeah. and we are kind of coming towards the end now, but is there anything kind of on your mind or anything else you feel like you wanted to share? I think that's all me, thank you, Luke. Yeah, no worries. Well. Yeah, Sam, it's been awesome to have you on the show. Um, thanks very much for coming, and we'd love to have you back again soon. Thank you very much for having me, and I'm, I'm more than happy to come back soon. Okay, awesome. I wish you well on your journey uh, to recovery, or through recovery. Um, and, yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much, Luke.